Hi, uh, my name is Richard Villegas. Welcome to another episode of Song Mess. I'm joined by the absolutely incredible, the gorgeous, the soft-voiced... Beverly Bryan? <laughs> um, and we also have a guest. Um, we're joined by uh, a fabulous musician from Mexico, a journalist, a personality of the indie scene, uh, Ruben Torres. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, and so you brought us in some dope beats. What's what's going on? To release all this stuff. Um, For what it's worth, we're not really famous. So this episode we're really excited about because Ruben is living in New York right now, and he has agreed to come on the show, and it's going to be a very special episode. He has some songs to share with us. Some of them are his, and some of them are by other artists, but none of them have been released. So the music we're going to be listening to today, you are only going to hear here. Actually, some of it has been released. <laughs> it's whatever. It's all cool. It's all new. It's all brand brand new and fresh. What can you tell us about the song, Ruben? Uh, well, I've been pressuring Siete to release this now. Uh, I was helping him compile, actually, what was going to be his third EP. I helped him compile the last two EPs, the one he released with Nafi and the first one that he released with Coco Bass. But um, something always happens. I guess his songs got deleted, or the, the, the Ableton sessions got deleted, and he wasn't able to um, to export them in high quality. So now he's like very reticent to release this. But this song has actually been a staple of many of his sets. I think he's been opening his shows with this song for like the past year, year and a half. So if you've seen him live, you've probably heard this song. It's called Percepción.
rather really important, seminal, I would say, um, Mexican electronic band called Los Macuanos, um, on which, you know, we may not ask too many questions, just to be polite. Um, but we were talking about, like, you know, when you got into production and, you know, so, like, what really got you into music? Like, what, what, what was the driving force? Competition. <laughs> I was competing with my bandmates. And we were competing to see who could produce a better song. Yeah, uh, big one. I think I won because I think Sangre Bandera Cruz was like our comeback anthem. We were sort of like stagnant at that point. I'm I'm half joking here, but we were kind of stagnant at the at the moment that I produced that song. We had one initial hit called Ritmo de Amor, mm-hmm. and um, we managed to tour quite a bit with that one. Song. I mean, we had more, but that was the song that everybody knew. It was the jam. Was that I was knew. the jam. Yeah, exactly. So then we were kind of like at a crossroads where, you know, we didn't really know what was next. And I, I said, I didn't produce at the time. I only performed with the band. And there was like this kind of like, you know, like shade throwing <laughs> internally in the band, like, well, you know, why don't you produce a song? And I was like, yeah, maybe it's time that I start producing a song. So I, 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 I don't want to take 100% credit for it. I did produce that song, but eventually we all helped in polishing the song. But, you put your hands in the mix. Yeah, of course. Well, that's what a band is supposed to be, I think. And, um, and it ended up being our comeback anthem. And we played some of our best shows with, with that aesthetic. Because that... After that song, we started producing so- songs in a very, like, in similar vein. That's like, where it got dark? It got dark, it got industrial, techno, mm-hmm. political, it got less overtly tropical. And, um, and yes, so that happened. Um, I definitely want to talk more about the uh, political aspect of Ruido Son and talking about that scene. But before we do all that, let's have a music break. So you brought in a song by Fonovisa. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I did, I did, but now that we're talking about Sangre Bandera Cruz, I feel it might be more appropriate if we just go straight into the Spectre Caudillo song. We can come okay. back to Fonovisa yeah, later. Yeah, that's fine, that's I don't fine. Want... <laughs> I'm, just going off the, I'm, I'm just going off the track list. So, okay, so we're going to talk about Spectre Caudillo then. Can you tell me a little yeah. bit about Las Caras Ocultas? I feel, it's like, I feel that it's appropriate to go there because I produced that song. Uh, well, I produced this, I started this project... Along the same time that I produced Sangre Vendera Cruz, this was late 2012, early 2013. So Sangre Vendera Cruz came out in 2012. And the political, like, unre- the feeling of political unrest in Mexico was especially strong among, like, the youth. <laughs> so... Still is, I'd say. Yeah. So with the Spectre Cadillo, what, like, <laughs> I didn't really... I had this project. I had this EP. It's called Lazos de Familia. Um, family Ties. I, I produced it. In 2013, I completed it, but I didn't feel the need to release it until very recently. So I wanted to do something that was very different from Sangre Bandera Cruz because Sangre Bandera Cruz, I feel, was, even though it had some subtlety to it, it was very direct in the what it was, you know? It was like a very, you know, um, anti <laughs> state. Patriotism. Yeah, anti many things, but it was, it's very obvious that it was a protest song. Right. Um, and with the Spectre Cadillo, I wanted to do something that was more like contemplative and introspective and li- like, not just say, you know, like, you know, fuck the system, but think about like, oh, well, you know, why is the, uh, why is the system this way? You know, which is kind of hard to do in an instrumental album, 
but uh, but I kind of tried this. So there's a story behind the CP. Um, it's based on a book, actually. It's called Lazos. No, the book is called Negocios de Familia. And it was released before Peña Nieto came into power. Peña Nieto that's is the family business. Family business. Yeah, family business. Yeah, that's right. Um, Negocios de Familia. And it talks about the ties between Peña Nieto and this group called Grupo Tlacomulco, which is a faction within the PRI in Mexico. So it's really just looking at... Um, what was that word you used the other day? Cronyism. The history of cronyism and nepotism within within Mexico. Um, but it's sort of like, it's got like a soundtracky feel to it. Uh, it's very like, you know, like I said, introspective. It's it's like a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't quite exist. But I think, I mean, I think the message is pretty, it's there. It captures the mood, I think. All right, cool. So let's listen to Inspector Caudillo. This is Las Caras Ocultas.
so you said this is a rather political song and a rather political uh, EP, correct? I mean, yeah, was, at least in theory, it is. It's supposed to be. I mean, this is definitely not like the Macuanos that I know, or even like the early days of Rio Son that I know you were uh, a part of. Although, you know, again, like I appreciate there still being a a a political thread. I, where do you think political music is in Mexico right now, considering that Mexico is kind of like going through it? Uh, and... Not really. It's very, it's absent in the discourse. I think a lot of the stuff that I see come out of Mexico is just like really standard escapist pop rock fair. It's very boring, actually. It's extremely boring, the kind of stuff to come out of Mexico. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm disenchanted with all of that, but don't even get me started. Okay. Well, I'll get you started on something else. So the next track that we have up is Fonovisa. Yeah. Um, what's what's the name of the track? Cause it's a lot of symbols. It's uh, Etra Dogma, I believe, is what it's it's how it's pronounced. Okay. Etra Dogma. Fonovisa is a very talented producer from Guadalajara. He's produced under a number of aliases like Collateral Soundtrack and what else did he produce under? Mm. Well, he used to play with Los Amparito, actually. So he's, he's of that clique. And this song is a collaboration with Durant, who is also a very talented producer from Mexico City. He performed, I think, at last year's Mutic. They have, like, a net label that's called IMPT, I believe. Um, it's kind of like, you know, more, you know, headier, beat-oriented stuff. Um, there's a, there was a bit of a controversy a little while ago that I was involved in because of Fonovisa, he sent me a message saying that Boiler Room Mexico had invited him to play, but, and, and I was like, he was like, do they pay? Because I, I we as Macondas, we performed in Boiler Room twice. And he was like, do they pay? And I was like, I don't know, but you should probably ask them. And so he asked them if they were going to pay him and they said, uh, oh, sorry, we don't have any we don't have any money to pay you right now. I remember him posting a screenshot of the email. Yeah, yeah, which, by the way, is a method that I don't necessarily agree with. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with him calling people out, I guess, but just the way in which he did it was a little bit, like, too much. It was a little Kim K. But I, I supported it. I supported it, and so, but I got into trouble for it because also my, my uh, other Macuano colleague reposted it as well with his two cents. A lot of people did, actually. And, um, but I got a message, an angry message from one of the Boiler Room producers saying, like, why are you doing this? Da, 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 da. And I was like, I didn't post anything. He's like, yeah, but that guy's your friend, right? I was like, so it's a very controversial thing in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. It makes absolutely no sense. This is how it is. It's a very controversial issue in Mexico because a lot of promoters, believe it or not, in some of the bigger festivals and the smaller ones, and even branded stuff like Boiler Room, they don't pay national artists. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so disenchanted with everything. Not all of them. I don't want to say they're all. Some people try to do it right. But then it's just like one of these like ugly. It's like one of the, the dark side of, uh, of the music scene in Mexico. That these are like realities. And so this is. I mean, I really admire that Fonovisa just doesn't give a shit. Like he's a really talented producer and he will do something. Like, he will do it because he loves music, but he's definitely not interested in, like, playing the game, mm. I guess. And, which is, you know, admirable, because I think a lot of us have, like, you know, fallen prey to the hype cycle at one point. It's very tempting. It does have an allure, 
but um but yeah so but i mean ultimately i think his music kind of speaks speaks for itself it's funny you should say that because like i know uh, i because we definitely have the same problem in the u.s like where people like venues and promoters do not want to pay and like i've known of so many like artists who like wanted to come and play the u.s and they've been like nah pass because like it's just there's no money in it there's yeah. no money in it like i mean i know a lot of the i know a lot of people in chile who like are like hey can you get me booked and i'm like you probably won't get paid and they're like never mind i'll just book a tour through mexico um and like they usually get paid there you know like so it's is it is it a matter do you think of like undervaluing national artists because i feel like that's a big thing in really just in latin america uh, i don't know about i don't know anywhere else but like in latin america there's a big thing it's just national artists have no value in the eyes of promoters or clubs. Yeah, Big but, festivals are always being headlined by someone yeah. from North America or Europe. Yeah, I think the problem is exactly that, that there is a band that is getting paid or is getting paid more, and it's always like... The, no, not, not even, no, not even. I don't even think, you know, well, it's, it's usually a foreign band, right? And it's just the way that the system is organized, it makes it really, really hard for national artists to make a living. Um, like, for example, this was one really big festival I remember a few years ago when I was living in Mexico City. Uh, a big festival, Corona Capital, I think it was called. It's sponsored by beer. It's still on. It's still on. They're just, like, banned national artists altogether. Like, they were not going to book national artists at all. And it was, it was, like, a very pragmatic, like, logistic reason that they did it. But it's still, you know, like, how do you make a festival in Mexico that doesn't allow Mexican artists, you know? And it's a very popular festival, too. So just, you know, there's something there that's not, you they know... They outright banned national artists? Well, not banned, but it's just but like, we're just not like, going to book. Wow. And it was some, like, kind of, <laughs> like, convoluted thing involved with, like, the agencies that, like, you know, organize these festivals or also, like, the agencies that, like, book these artists and just some kind of, like, a conflict of interest. Type of interest. I, somebody explained it to me once. I don't understand. I'm very dumb when it comes to these things. But essentially, yeah, no, no Mexican bands could play in a music festival in Mexico. So, you know. And then it gets frustrating because, like, you'll see, like, new festivals cropping up all over the world. And they book the same bands that have made it on to this international festival circuit. Mm -hmm. But then it's... It's the same bands over and over again. And you just have, like, a cookie-cutter version of the same festival in every country you go to, you know, whether it's Colombia or the United States. And I'm not sure I really see the point of that, except that you can somehow cash in on it. I think Lollapalooza has been not great about it, but, like, better than most. Like, if you think about, like, the band, like, they've had iterations in Brazil, Argentina, Chile... And uh, the one in Colombia got canceled thanks to Rihanna. Um, so, like, but they 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 try at least to uh, incorporate local acts. Um, I follow the one in Chile because I've been to it twice now, um, and like they feature a lot of like the up and coming indie talent. Uh, and in, in recent years, they started bringing in sort of like classic talent, like from the '60s and '70s. So, like, I think that's really cool. It means that like they're at least sort of, sort of, consulting with the local scene. Uh, but, yeah, there's, you know, a lot of these other festivals. Like, I, again, again, it's just even local venues aren't really interested in booking locals. I feel like Brooklyn bands don't really get booked at, like, say, Governor's Ball, you know. 
Well, I don't know. In in New York, it's like whatever band is famous in Brooklyn is famous going to be famous in the world. I guess so. Which is it ends up being a bit different and obnoxious that way. But (laughs) all right. Well, we got sidetracked by the economy. So here's Fonovisa with what's that song? Itra Dogma.
so it sounds like the next two songs that you want to share sort of go together. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? I mean, they go together because they're my one-time bandmates, uh, Moises and Moises. A Tale um, of Two Moiseses? A Tale of Two Moiseses. They are, they have other projects besides Maquanos. Um, I think everybody just kind of like, with with the side projects, we're able to explore more, I mean, as you do with side projects, explore the issues that like, um, that in- fascinate us musically, explore them more in depth. So I remember Moy Lopez, who is my cousin, telling me that his whole aesthetic has been based on memories which was also like pretty big like a recurring theme in Macuanos but it was all with Macuanos it was more like memories oriented around Mexican culture and Mexican folklore and stuff that we grew up with and with Señor Sin Sexo at least it's not very evident if you just listen to the music but the way that he described it is he focuses on very specific memories and very specific moods and feelings from a very particular moment and he just explores that more in depth so he has this upcoming EP that's called Alokia, and um, don't ask me when it's coming out because I don't know. So this is one of the songs. This project is Señor Sin Sexo. It's called, what's it called? The EP? The or, song. The song is called Answer 3. So the EP is four songs, and they all follow a line. Answer 1, Answer 2, Answer 3, Answer 4. Again, don't ask me what that means because he can probably give a better explanation of it. So we've got some Proustian electronic music. <laughs> and so, somewhat, Proustian. yes. Christian. And Exorcismos is just, Moy has always been, Moy Orta has always been the more um, left field member of the Macuanos. So he just really, you know, goes all out avant-garde with these projects. But, um, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, these, these, this song specifically, I guess it's just more, it's a more abrasive sound. You can definitely trace like the lineage of the last stuff that we produced with Macuanos. To, to this um, or vice versa um, but he just it's more aggressive it's more abstract it's, it's, I mean you, you can listen to it this one actually has vocals in it it's called Ecocidio which would translate to Echocide um, yeah so the vocals are wow. courtesy of an artist named Vortex and it has something to do with yeah you guessed it the environment right. <laughs> so yeah so those are the two songs Okay, cool. So we're going to start with Señor Sin Sexo, uh, followed by Exorcismos.
As we mentioned, uh, you're, you are or maybe were a part of Los Macuanos. You did mention your one-time bandmates. Does Los Macuanos still exist? Uh, it exists as an idea. Okay. No, I mean, right. I mean, just because you're not currently recording or touring doesn't mean that they ceased to exist. Yeah. I definitely lo- don't like to mm, prematurely... Um, declare the death of anything right because i understand that these things are cyclical um and i'm still definitely like we're still definitely talking or whatever it's just you know you know the the thing about bands is that they exist they're very much of the moment and in the not not in the sense of like hype or anything like that but in the moment of um each other's lives so, I mean, that's usually how bands start, right? Everybody's, like, on the same wavelength. And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, let's do this. And then... And so with Maquanas, it's been very, like, you know, like a roller coaster. We'll have our ups and downs. And um, and I think at this moment, everybody's just kind of, like, at a point in their lives where they're doing something else. We're doing something else, both musically and personally. Because um, we did... I mean, we did the Maquanas thing for such a long time. Like, I think it was... Six or seven years. Seven years probably of just touring. And we toured quite a bit. We visited... I mean, that's how we got to visit New York for the first time. I mean, we played New York twice. Um, I think I went both times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I caught your set at LAMC one year. I like that. That, was a, that wasn't one of the better ones. <laughs> we, that, was, that was a weird one. That, that was, was a weird like, one. It was a weird lineup. I was like, Esteban and Los Marcuanos on the same bill. That was a strange... It was a weird night. one. And that Wookiees was... and Milkman. Well, oh, yeah, Milkman that. was a last minute edition. The Wookiees were great, though. I had a great time with the Wookiees. Um, okay. Actually, you bringing up, uh, you know, the the fate of Macuanos uh, brings up another question for me, which is sort of the fate of Rui Doson itself. You said um, yes. you guys were working on a documentary about Rui Doson. Yeah. What? So if the future of Macuanos is uncertain, the future of Rui Doson is even more uncertain. But we were working on a documentary, and without saying too much, we also worked on an EP together when we were recording this documentary. Um, four songs actually came out of that intense... So we lived in a house together, all of us, Santos, Maria Jose, all of the Macuanos, Siete Catorce. And this is on film? This is all on film. Yes! yes. We lived in a house together for a week. Uh, uh, it's kind of like Big Brother meets the Exterminating Angel. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying and exciting. And uh, But we recorded a lot of stuff, and actually some really good songs came out of it. They're, I mean, of course, there's a lot of post-production work to be done, both in the film and the music, but I think the future of Son looks more promising than the future of Maquanas. How about that? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm of the firm belief that in order for things to grow, they have to evolve. So that means sure. radical change. And in my musical life especially, I think that that's, that's the case. So I think, I definitely think that Real Sun will have a second wind or third. I don't know how many it's at. But, um, but we'll see. I'm actually very optimistic about it. As far as Macanas, I don't know. I, we have a lot of material that we've recorded that we've yet to release that I would like to see 
out in out in the world. Mm. So there may still be material uh, to come out with that band. Maybe this would be a good time to play one song that you did tell me was unreleased by one of my favorite Ruido Son scene members. Oh yeah, that's true. Who do we got? Who do we got? Santos is his name. Yes. Uh, and this, he absolutely killed it at uh, Ruido Son. I lost. I lost the the last Ruido Son that we. Oh, because at the end of this week we threw a party in the same house. Um, it was it was it wasn't as wild as I thought it would be, except that Siete Catorce. While we're on the subject of acid, uh, oops. Siete, <laughs> is that something that you guys talk no, about in the show? No, it does not matter. We we're drunk on like half the time, so it's yeah. Fine. So Siete Catorce just casually came by and handed me something. He's like, "Here, take this," and I was like, "Okay, it's my it's my last couple of days here in Tijuana. Let's do it." So I just remember I I, I was wearing a bicycle helmet and I was dancing all throughout. I was like essentially Santos' hype man during his entire show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of those moments where you're just like completely out of body experience. I think I really hope there is footage of this as well because I don't remember anything. But see, this is good. This is important for the kids to hear about it. <laughs> if you take hallucinogens, wear a helmet. Practice safe drugs. Exactly. At, at least you were really being safe. I was being safe. Yeah. I was wearing a bicycle helmet and sunglasses. Fine. And I was dancing intensely incessantly in front of Santos during his set. It was a, it was a, like, this, this is the kind of guy that you, so you were mentioning to me, Beverly, a little while ago that you, you didn't think Santos has had the recognition that, that he deserves. I agree. I love his compositions. I would agree with that as well. I agree, but, but his, his productions do not do his live show justice. Mm. He really is a person that you have to see like, and see in the case, like, for example, say the Catorce, I would say that he has a good balance. His productions are pretty good, but his live show is even better. Marie Jose, I've seen him maybe in the almost decade that I've known him. I've seen him play maybe two or three really good shows and a lot of really lackluster shows, but his productions are great and he's a fantastic songwriter. Mm. So it just really like depends, you know? But you Sant- know, Honestly, I've seen him play only once and I thought Tony as Tony was good. But then he put on the balaclava and became Marie Jose. Yeah. And the entire mood in the room changed. And I became mm-hmm. very pro musicians wearing masks because I believed that, like, I don't know, he took on some some new thing and everyone lost their shit and it was great. Yeah, the thing about him as a person and as an artist is that he's very moody. Kind of like myself. I mean, we're all kind of moody. You kind of have to be if you're a musician, right? But, but he's definitely, when it comes to his shows, they are very much about him. So if he's, yes. like, in a shitty mood or he's not feeling the crowd or anything, his show will definitely reflect it. He will not take on a different, you know, like, persona to, to you know, the, the sh- it's, it's him. He will fight you in a show. Yeah. I'll fight I, him. I, I think, that's, no, I think nice. that's very much accurate. Well, so, okay, so we're going to play the song by Santos, and it's called Gatillero. Gatillero. Um, what, do you, what can you tell us about the song? I mean, he's really gone... We were talking about Sangre Bandera Cruz a little while ago, so when... Sangre Bandera Cruz came out. There had been one other song, I think it was Violentao by Marie Jose, that was alluding to social issues uh, in Mexico. And Sangre Bandera Cruz, I think, um, this is one of the ways in which it's like helpful to operate as a movement, as a scene, and that what one artist does influences the other artist. So after Sangre Bandera Cruz, everybody became very overtly political. Marie Jose became even more political than he was already becoming. And then I think the one artists that is continued like almost exclusively in that line is Santos because you know Siete Catorce he won't really he won't really do that but Santos especially his new stuff it's very dark 
It's very much true to the situation that's going on in Mexico. So, I mean, this is the perfect example. Okay, cool. So this is Santos with Gatillero.
Okay, so that was triggering. Um, and next, uh, we have an artist that you're going to tell us about. It's very interesting. Um, her name is Amazon.com. <laughs> yes. Her name is Stella, but her producer name is Amazon.com. She is uh, she's a producer from, from Los Angeles. Very recently, I think, she started putting out her work. Um, she used to live, I mean, she's a friend. She used to live in Tijuana uh, about a year ago or so. She got, you know, sort of involved because of us. She, she got familiar with the, um, with the TJ scene. And it's interesting because Tijuana has always had a very, like, um, tenuous yet very important relationship with Los Angeles. Um, obviously because of, I mean, you would think it would happen more naturally and more frequently because of the geographic proximity yeah. that Los Angeles has to Tijuana. Um, but it doesn't really, but when it happens, it's, it's something very magical and very special. It sounds very cliche, very magical, but it is. I also threw a festival, uh, last year, well, this year actually, in February, um, with some friends in Tijuana called the Because We Love You Fest, and half of the lineup was, um noise artists from Los Angeles and other parts of the U.S. and half of the lineup was electronic artists from Tijuana. I think we had maybe one artist from, from Nafi, from Mexico City, uh, James Manuel. Actually, that sounds really rad. Like, musically, they could be sister cities, but if only people embraced it. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it really depends on the network. But I think it's interesting. Now, you know, and she plays, like, um, during her, her sets have been a hit in Tijuana. She's played quite a few times. And um, she plays the Brida song during her sets as well, which I think is interesting. She's taken a lot of influence. And this song, I, I, I liked it. I really like the name, Bye Bye to Language. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard. A little bit. His recent film was called Goodbye to Language. I think that's a reference to that. I'm not as familiar with him as uh, I should be for how pretentious I am. <laughs> well, but she's also a film major, so it, it makes more sense in that, in that context. But to me, it, just, it seems very resonant. For a long time, I was so obsessed about... With the, personally, I was so obsessed with the issue of language and its importance. And slowly, I've come to realize that it's le- less important than maybe... Especially in music. It's less important than, I, than I'd like to think that it is. On your music, you can definitely tell there are little, you know... Um, there's aspects of it that sound vaguely tropical at times, you know. But it's very much, you know... I mean, this is very much us. This is very much, like, of, of the age, right? None of us have any, like, fixed identity, I think. It doesn't matter if we're from Tijuana or from L.A. It's just everything is so transient. And I think this really speaks to that. And this really speaks to, like, the kind of music that we're making now. Whereas at the beginning, like, I think everybody in Rio Son was very, you know, it's tropical, it's Mexican, it's this, it's Spanish, it's this and that. Now, like, we care less and less. I, I like to think that it's the same aesthetic line that we've all been following, but now it's less apparent. Um, more outside influences come in and, uh, you know, does this make any sense? I'm just rambling at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally pumped to hear the song now. Yeah, so it's, this is, what's it called? So to, this to, is Amazon.com, this is Bye Bye to Language.
So that's cool. That seems like, okay, so, uh, you know, she's doing this in L.A., but we heard kind of a cumbia influence. Uh, you can definitely hear the Ruidoson influence. Yeah, no, I mean, she, I would still consider her part of the, because the Tijuana community is so transient and ephemeral. Um, it's very hard to claim a membership. <laughs> so I would still consider her to be part of the Tijuana scene. Um, so now, now Ruidoson also includes California. Yeah, I mean, some, some networks within California. I mean, I'm from San Diego. I was born and raised in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of adopted Tijuana as my home. But, I mean, if you really wanted to nitpick and look at my birth certificate, <laughs> it would say, you know, born in Chula Vista, California, um, went to school in California my whole life. You know what I mean? So that's the thing about the border. There's still, you know, some kind of liberty there with, in terms of membership and you know, belonging, it's very, it's very loose, I think. Right on. Yeah, I was talking to Tony once, and he was telling me that he really felt like um, he connects with a lot of people, um, a lot of fans on, in, in California, and, you know, on the U.S. side of the border. Yeah. Like, he feels like his music resonates there the most. It's a, it's a very border condition. I think, I mean, I've never connected with anybody in California in general, but that's a personal issue of mine. I really don't like California. But, uh, but definitely, it's it's more about um, being from the border. Just makes you understand things differently, I suppose, and especially in terms of like um, open mindedness. Uh, you realize like you can connect to somebody in Mexico City on like a certain level, and somebody in New York on another level. But you realize how just how loose these you know um, terms are. You know, in terms of like um, what, what they really mean. Yeah, and well, that's that's interesting because also like Tony was saying that people don't really get his music in Mexico City. It's too far south. That's and weird. It's I, different. I felt that like with Macuanos. I see that. I feel like with Macuanos, people really got it in Mexico City and Tijuana. They just have no clue. They they're just like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, well, yeah, this band has some hype. But then Mexico City, they actually connected with, with it. Because also, it's, it's a very, it's a deliberately, even though none of us are very Mexican in that band, we were all born in the States. Hmm. We were all, you know, living in both sides of the border our whole lives. But it's very consciously a Mexican project, you know. And I feel that's something about being in the border that you can tap into that and say, okay, now I'm going to, like, explore this Mexican side of mine. Single that out. Single out that part of your identity. And... Sometimes you can be like, well, now I don't want to be like completely Mexican. Now I want to explore this side of mine, right? So that's how I feel like right now in New York, you know. Let me explore my American side a little bit. <laughs> so that's, again, that's a condition of being, I think, maybe not exclusively, but it's definitely very characteristic of what border life is. So I have a question. So like Ruido Son, obviously, like it was, it's obviously a, a genre and a movement and what have you, but like a lot of the same names tend to pop up you know, consistently. Like, we've been talking about Tonys, Siete Catorce, Santos, Macuanos, etc. Um, like, I wouldn't necessarily call that a collective, but it's definitely, like, a family, you know, brothers in arms, if you will. Yeah. You know, is there, like, what's the dynamic like between, say, like, something like, you know, the the people involved in Ruido Son and something like Nafi, for example, like, you know. I like, mean, it's a very curious case with Nafi because... We had a very close... Re- this is... You wanted the cheese, here's the cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a very close... There's a reason why Siete Catorce is in Nafi. 
And oh, is he? Yeah. Well, he was. I mean, he released oh. EP2 on Nephew. Okay. Oh, I don't know if yeah. You're aware. Yeah. That's true. And that was a product of a failed uh, merger between <laughs> Macuanos and Nafi. So when I first moved to Mexico City, I was living with Tomas, who is the label head at... Uh, Davo. Yeah, yeah, Tomas Davo. He's a good friend of mine still, cool guy. But um, so we kind of tried to mix both worlds together and it didn't quite pan out um, for various reasons. But but the first, like, um, my first and only... Uh, contribution to the Nafi company was the Siete Catorce EP that I compiled and I was like okay I think this is the artist that we should promote now because they were like completely like restructuring their like before the Nafi that you know now which is like in every single music medium ever they were like sort of at a crossroads this was back in 2013 when I when I first arrived there and I was like let's do something and it's like yeah okay let's do it and so what do we do we're gonna launch a label and who are we gonna launch I was like Siete Catorce he's I'm always like, because I claim to have discovered him. <laughs> so I'm always like really pushing him very hard everywhere. Um, it's half true. I have discovered him. Um, and so, and so that the order, you know, went through. And so everything, you know, the wheels were in motion. And then we had like a, like a falling out of sorts at the time. We're cool now, but at the time we were just like, okay, this is not going to work out. And, um, but Siete Catorce, you know, he was sort of like the child that was caught in the middle of the divorce. Nice. Okay. <laughs> it went really well for Mom, him. Dad, and, please stop fighting. And it went really well for Nafi. Like, it worked out perfectly for both of them. Siete Catorce was put on the map instantaneously. This was an unknown guy from Mexicali. Like, most people don't even know where Mexicali is. It's the border with Calexico. Um, he was just this unknown kid. All of a sudden, he's in Mexico City. He's like the superstar of the scene. And the Nafi, this label that is like, you know, struggling to make a name for itself, has this amazing release. Nobody in, I remember one of my colleagues back at, uh, when I used to be at Vice in Mexico, he said, just people, it's like, I was like, why do you guys like, like, I know Cielicadores is cool, but why do you guys like him so much here in Mexico City? He's like, well, just, you know, people here don't make music like this, you know? And it was just a very, like, broad comment, but I, uh, it made a little sense. Like, you have to be from a very, particular part of Mexico, a.k.a. the border, to really, you know, to, like, consume and produce music of this sort. So it went really well for everybody. And then, but, but you know, the social gyna- dynamic got weird. He got to Mexico City and was like, what's going on? <laughs> and then, then he had the Mexicali blues. Um, yeah. Well, getting back to, um, you know, what is going on in Tijuana, um, what, what is the music scene there like right now? What scene now? <laughs> I just really wanted to say that. I just really wanted to say that. Uh, I think that's going to be the running joke on this podcast what forever. Scene? What scene? Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm very discontent with. Um, the kids are... I'm going to sound like an old cranky man, you know, that's telling the kids to get off his lawn, but I definitely think the newer generations aren't... aren't okay. You can start over if you want to. I I can't I can, but it's it's I want my frustration to be <laughs> manifested. If there's anything that you can use this for, it's a soapbox. So go ahead and so, do it. Tijuana is a very young city. I'm, I'm gonna start from the very beginning. It is a very young city. And the kind of the generation that, for example, saw the birth of something like Nortec was a generation that was still very free in terms of nobody knew what Tijuana was back then. You know, this is not just in music, but in art in general. 
Tijuana was still this mystery to the rest of the world. And they had both the task and the privilege of making a name for themselves and for the city, you know? Like, they were basically, you know, defining what Tijuana was going to be. And the generations that came after that, like my generation, we have to, like, sort of live with that, and we have to, like, live with the comparisons, and we have to live with something that has already been established. So it's always changing, right? The city is always, like, going through these evolutions, being as it's so young, and it just it's very recent that people realize that cool music could come out of Tijuana. Because before, people used to think, like, Tijuana, you know, there's people there? Like, you know, what's going on? You know, they just assume it's the Wild West, which it is in a lot of ways. So now we're seeing music from the kids of Nortec, literally and metaphorically, like their children are making music now. And wow. you, you can tell, like some of the most popular bands to come out of Tijuana are actually like um, this band Minfield, which is uh, mm-hmm. the daughter of Bostich from Nortec. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And Gre- I didn't know I'm, that. I'm yeah. surprised I've heard of Minfield, but I didn't know I'm surprised that. more people don't know this. Yeah. Like, and Grenda, who's also very popular, right. he is the son of Bostich as well. They're brother and sister. I didn't know oh, that yeah. either. Yes, I knew. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, I think she's organizing a, her yeah, own festival. The Musica en el Patio. Yeah. 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 So okay. we're dealing with the kids and now. That I've the, heard of. Well, that's Chisma that I got from Chicago. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Later. All right. Which I'm, you know. You know, I'm very obsessed with nepotism and all these. These are themes I explore in my work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very, uh, you know, it's fascinating to me. So we're dealing with the kids now. But the kids, I feel, these kids at least specifically, and, you know, the kind of bands that play these festivals or whatever, they don't have, like, the sense of urgency that their parents had. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. I mean, these are kids that were basically born with a synthesizer in their lap. You know, like sub- suburban kids. They're making nice, pretty music, and they're very talented kids. But there's nothing at stake. It's like, what are you... It's, it's, it's... Do you feel like after, you know, already only after two generations of music, like, the scene is, like, overburdened with a legacy? Not even that. I don't even think they're, like, that conscious of the legacy. They just reap the benefits of the legacy. But in a certain way, like, Tijuana is becoming a real city now. I've talked about this with, with Maybe my there friend is at less length. at stake. There is less at stake, but it's also... So the thing that's been so appealing about Tijuana is that it's so free, you know? It's not like a typical city like Mexico City where you have the rich people here and you have the poor people here and everything is very much where it should be. Tijuana is still very much a blender and you can... That's becoming less and less true Hmm. for a number of reasons, both political, socioeconomic, whatever. It's becoming more and more of a city. And so, again, like I've been talking about this at length with my friend um, who I host a podcast with. And he says, as cities become more, you know, like cities, also all these other things become more apparent, like, you know, the classism, the racism, this and that. Everything starts to fall into place. So now you hear music that is not necessarily informed by, you know, this blender. You hear music from people that are from a certain part of the city. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, without getting, like, too overtly, you know, social or whatever, you know, social justice. Like, you know, you hear the people that you're supposed to hear. And, you know. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, a lot of these people are very talented. I just, I just, I'm I'm of the opinion that things, that there should be something at stake in music. That music should be speaking about something. And that Tijuana is still a place that can be very much mined for very interesting stuff that is not, like Siete Catorce, for example, or Rio Son or whatever. Stuff that does not happen in Mexico City, you know. Something that could never happen in Mexico City because Mexico City is so much a city 
you know, with so many years and such such a legacy. Well, you were saying there was something by one artist from Tijuana that you did want to share. I mean, he's of that clique as well. He's from that. Uh, so it's, it's so Invitado Sorpresa is. Uh, I wouldn't even call him a friend. He's a colleague of mine. We have a very. Um, there's a lot of friction in our relationship. It's more Some about of those I, are the best relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a great critic of his work. Let's put it that way. But he plays in these festivals like the Musica and el Patio. He's very much friends with the, you know, the main field. He's of that generation, and he's of that like social network as well, because that's how it's defined essentially. It's a social network. Um, it's like high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really, what I find very interesting about his music is that I don't know a lot of people that make music the way that I make music, or the way that like we make music with Macanos, for example, in the sense that he makes, he approaches music conceptually. He doesn't, do, he doesn't make a beat and is like, okay, this is cool. Like, he actually lays out a conceptual framework. There's, like, an idea behind his music, and he produces on the basis of that, which maybe to the listener is, like, irrelevant or not even apparent. But I really appreciate that, and so I've been kind of following his work, you know, a lot of hit and miss, but this is, I think, the best thing that he's produced yet. He has yet to release it, you know. He, he's, he's very... Um, shy about his work like most producers I know he's like yeah I'm gonna release this tomorrow and then he doesn't release it for another six months yep. so you know but I think this is this is great this he is was EQing something yeah exactly but week. I but I think this shows promise and I think this song specifically shows a lot of promise and you know there's that that faint glimmer of hope you know <laughs> what's it called uh, so the artist is called Invitado Sorpresa the surprise guest and the song is called App Os Apostoles, which is his attempt at a pun, I suppose. Apostoles means apostles, but it's spelled like app, like a, like a phone app. Oh, hi. OS. You know, <laughs> okay, yeah. well, fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, we're going to listen to that now. Yeah.
So that was really unique and interesting. Um, it was very, it was kind of like almost like twinkly trap at some points, and I feel like um, it was fairy trap. It was yeah, fairy drug dealers. Fairy trap, and they're they're dealing in fairy dust. <laughs> yeah. This where what are we doing? Oh my god. Um, no, but I feel like one thing that was interesting about it was that it sounded like it could come from anywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. That's that's that used to be a complaint of mine, but now I just like eh, I take it for what it is. Um. And it is, it does very much capture that mood of that generation, you know. It's very twinkly eyed and very, you know. It's very Tumblr. Very Tumblr. Very GIF yeah, Why is this generation on some weak sauce with all the Tumblr pop and the, the Tinder pop that you just swipe left on? Do we all find ourselves agreeing with Clint Eastwood that this is the pussy generation? Did he say that? Yes, of course he did. Maybe, but there's nothing. And then he endorsed Trump. But there's also nothing wrong with pussies, so it's fine. No, that's fine. I love kitties. I'm very close to being triggered right now. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Got the yellow. Anyway, um, like, so, say, like if that's a pejorative, we're we're saying that there's something wrong with having a vagina. Which, um, anyway. But then no, again, but then again, dick is also a pejorative term. So, just I, genitals in general. I've thought about very... <laughs> I thought about that a lot. And you know what? I guess it could be pejorative, but like as long as they're clean, whatever. You don't know our struggle, Beverly. Gen- genitals are pejorative in general. I think. Well, but our next song is by you. It's so by me, yeah. It's uh, Conejito Colvin. I make music uh, sometimes as well. I've, I, I know your Conejito Colvin moniker from Phonograma, because that's, that's oh, usually yeah. how your articles are published. I used to write a, a um, monocle. But, like, tell us a little bit about your own music. Uh, well, this is another project that I have that's very different from the other one. It's very different from Macon. It's very different from Spectro Caudillo. 
This is me just being whiny. This is me being a pussy. Yes. <laughs> but not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything way. wrong with that. I just usually just whine, moan. Pussy's great. Life-giving. Somebody, I was having a conversation about this the other day with a friend here, and she was. we were talking about memes and how memes were very ridiculous, absurd in terms of like their, their comical value, but at the same time, there was a part of them that was kind of honest. You were really pouring out some part of yourself in that meme. Mm. There was some honesty behind that absurdity, you know? And, um, and I had never realized, but that is essentially what, what I, you know, the, the premise of Konohito Kolbin. It's like um, emotion done to an almost ridiculous extent, but there's some part of you there that's, that's you know, it's very tongue-in-cheek as well. Um, some part of you there. That's 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 honest. That describes uh, pretty much all of my favorite pop music and rock and roll. I feel like you just described most of my writing. <laughs> yeah. We just described everything ever. Uh, <laughs> everything so this, ever that is good. This song is in Spanish, so I feel the need to, to translate it. Uh, it's called Pequeño Gran Blockstar. It's a reference to a song by this band called Jumbo. It's just called Pequeño Gran Rockstar. Uh, it's just me whining about being having hype at one point and then not having it and just the absurdity of being popular on the internet. So I wrote this two years ago, but I released it now because somebody asked me for a song. A blog from Costa Rica asked me for a song and they've always supported my work. So I was like, okay, I have this song here. Here you go. So I just released it last week. Um, and it's that, you know. I think that that's a perfect song to play on Songmas because as we have been called um, El Podcast Super Hipster. That is true. We have been called that by Super Hipsters musicians. So I, I feel like that's appropriate. So again, this is uh, Conejito Colvin con uh, Pequeño Gran Blogstar. Oh, uh-huh. 
Son slash Macuanos slash Tijuana worship moments. Um, and in the proud tradition of song mess, uh, we have to eulogize again because that's, you know, 2016. We picked a hell of a year to start a podcast. 2016 can continue to kiss the fattest part of my ass. Um, <laughs> just killing legit all of our cool artists, musicians, actors, generally awesome people. Um, yeah, like, what are you really trying to do to us 2016? Uh, depress us. Uh, I feel like Xanax is really making a comeback in 2016. I will get you. Meet me outside <laughs> this building at 6 p.m. <laughs> After we're done a, recording. Or you're a chicken. Um, but yes, so Juan Gabriel just passed this week. I'm sure you've heard. If you are a listener, I'm sure you know. Um, Juan Gabriel is uh, one of, if not, I would say maybe the biggest pop musician in all of the Spanish-speaking world. Like, there's a lot of big ones, but I don't think anybody gets bigger than Juan Gabriel in, like, in terms of, like, modern pop music. Um, he, you know, wrote over 1,800 songs. He's been covered by hundreds of artists. Um, you know, he's had his music sung and translated into... I can't even imagine how many languages... I was listening to a Japanese version of one of his songs the other day that he sang. I was just like, what is happening? Um, Juan Gabriel uh, not only was like a, you know, Mexican music icon, but like, you know, people from all over the Spanish-speaking world worship him. Um, a queer icon. I feel like this year with Prince and Bowie going like, you know, queer people are kind of like losing uh, a lot of people they look up to. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you guys want to say about him. I've been crying. And even Obama commented on it. <laughs> For real. Yeah, like, even I mean. Obama had to say. I mean, I'm sure Obama never heard one of his songs, yeah. but, but some brown person on his staff was the, like, hey. The, the shout out is appreciated. Right. Uh, he, he was actually, he lived in Juarez for quite a while. My mm -hmm. dad is from Juarez. So there's that border connection. He actually wrote a very fame, one of his more famous songs is called La Frontera, which means the border right. and um it's uh very iconic for a certain generation of people that came of age in the border not just Juarez but Tijuana as well it's like more carefree version of the border but um I think it's interesting it holds a lot it holds a special significance for people who are from the northern regions of Mexico um well and very appropriately you actually brought uh, some some Juanga covers by some other like local Mexican musicians. 
Um, so I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to, to play some of those here. Who do you want to start with? Yeah, so this one friend of mine, uh, Carlos Pesina, who used to play in this band called Los Amparito. Well, it wasn't even a band, it was a project. It was popular for a while. Um, also from Guadalajara. He posted something the other day, which I thought was a joke. He said, like, and I'll send you my cover of Juan Gabriel. And I liked it, but I didn't realize he was being real. And then I got a link on my inbox and I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is the future of music distribution, people. (laughs) This is, this is a very unique take to say the least, uh, on, on Juan Gabriel, um, very washed out, sort of, you know, highly reverb, reverbated, uh, reverbated, what is that word? Reverberated? Reverberated. There, there we, we go. go. Reverb, hit, I don't know. I'm not, I don't Reverb-laden know. Reverb-laden uh, version. Uh-huh. Uh, That's, don't be, <laughs> I will edit that out. And it's a, and it's a demo, actually. Like, he, it was a private link, and I told him, can I play this for a radio show? And he was like, mm, only if you're not going to upload it anywhere. And he's like, no, you know. We'll talk about that. Oh later. my god! So, if so you is will pirated? That would be the T girl. And I was like, eh, we'll talk want. about that later. Uh, no, but yeah, yeah so no. you're only gonna hear this here. Yeah, so he greenlit it only Exclusive. for only for Songmas because he claims it's a demo. But I feel like every producer claims that everything he makes is a demo. So see the tens of you out there listening. You're welcome. This yeah. is Songmas Radio One. Okay. Extra. All right. So feel free to pirate us uh, on all the you know whatever. Okay, so this is uh, Pesina Siller. Pesina Siller. Rinse Mess FM. Covering No Tengo Dinero. All right, so this is Pesina Siller. This is No Tengo Dinero, uh, originally sung and written by Juan Gabriel.
And next, uh, you brought in also one by Capullo, and we were just, you know, sharing fun stories that don't need to make it on air, just on Snapchat. Um, so, uh, can you tell us a little bit about this song? Yeah, it's a cover of um, Déjame Vivir, which is a, a duet between uh, Juan Gabriel and, uh, and Rocío Durcal. Oh, I consider yes. Capullo to be indisputably the best pop band in Mexico. Um, I just wish more people would catch on to that. But it's definitely my favorite Mexican band. So this is them at their absolute peak, I believe. Okay, cool. So that's Déjame Vivir by Capullo. to the end of uh, this episode of Song Mass. I want to thank our guest, Ruben Torres, for uh, just, you know, being awesome and bringing all this incredible music in. Uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so most of the music is uh, Googleable, highly Googleable, uh, SoundCloud, mostly. Um, and also check out 
this other interesting project that I have is called Sinonda, uh, which is also on SoundCloud, S-I-N-O-N-D-A. We release all sorts of fun stuff there on occasion. We're not very formal about it, but once in a while we'll upload cool stuff on there. Now we find out about this and can <laughs> at you, the end. And can you do a quick roll call of all your other projects, just so, just in case anybody was like drinking like we were? Uh, so yeah, so the one project I would recommend, first and foremost, Conejito Colvin. Uh, that's on SoundCloud. Conejito Colvin. Uh, Espectro Caudillo recently released something on there like a month ago. You can find that on Lower's Net Label. This really cool net label from Juarez uh, released that EP also on SoundCloud. And finally, Los Mequanos. Um, for those of you with a penchant for history, uh, <laughs> you can also find us online on YouTube and all sorts of platforms. Um, maybe dig up an interesting interview here and there if you really feel like being a sleuth. And uh, yeah, that's it, I believe. And again, he, uh, Conejito Colvin slash uh, uh, Ruben Torres, is a writer uh, for any number of publications. You know, read this man's work, hire this man for writing gigs. He has great opinions, great insight. Um, and just like him, you can find us on all of the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, you can email us your, you know, feedback, uh, curse us out, send us a virus, that's fine, uh, to um, songmessmusic at gmail.com. And, and please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. iTunes, girl, iTunes. We're well, on SoundCloud, but iTunes is really the one paying the bills at some point, maybe in the future. Um, but otherwise, we're going to end this show with uh, a track uh, also by Juan Gabriel, but this time this is not a cover, this is the man himself. This was a request that came in from one of our very good friends uh, down in Mexico. This is Alberto from Monterrey. Shout out to you, as usual, for listening and continuing to send us good shit. Uh, this is Mis Ojos Tristes, which is, I think, how we're all feeling uh, at the passing of an incredible icon and just, uh, you know, a diva or divo, if you want to call him that, but that's not how I see him. Uh, but anyway, again, this is Juan Gabriel with Mis Ojos Tristes. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Did you just wave at the microphone? <laughs> Amor de tantas despedidas y de esperas, soledad es todo lo que tengo ahora y tus recuerdos que hacemos triste la angustia de vivir pensando en ti. tanto que no han vuelto a verte hasta el sol de hoy tristes de tanto extrañarte de tanto esperarte desde aquel adiós mis ojos tristes que al no saber de tu vida Así los castigas con la soledad.
Solo Dios sabe si tú 